gosh, I'm so excited to host a dear friend and a highly respected colleague. Dr. Allison Seebecker has been formative in the search for relief of a very complex condition, small intestinal bacterial overgrowth at SIBO, uh, pretty much from the beginning. I mean, she's been specializing in SIBO since 2011. Uh, in 2021, 10 years later, she was a Lifetime Achievement Recipient from Gastro ANP Association of Naturopathic Physicians. Um, she's been she's an award-winning author and co-founder and former medical director of the SIBO Center for Digestive Health at the University in UNM in for naturopathic medicine, very famous and well-regarded university in Portland, Oregon. Uh, her integrative SIBO protocols have helped literally thousands of patients get through SIBO and, and find a way through. Um, she has a free educational website, SIBOinfo.com. That's SIBOinfo.com. So that's free. So it's there for you. Wanted to remind you all that we're going to be having some questions and answer time available for Dr. Seebecker and for myself, if you'd have questions at the end of this session. Uh, so please post your questions in the comment section. We'll read as many as we can in the interview section. Um, so given the wide variety and presentations that SIBO can take, the huge mental and clinical challenges that face clinicians is actually tremendous. It's huge. Amidst all this complexity, having a doctor with the mental acuity and really, frankly, brilliance of you, Dr. C. Becker. Very sweet of you, Larry. <laughs> no, truly. I mean, I think for so many of us, I think for virtually all of us in the community, you've been a beacon of light and clarity for patients and providers alike. It's truly a pleasure to welcome you. Thank you, Larry. It's so wonderful to be chatting with you. We've known each other for so long and it's just your dear friend and you've helped so many people yourself. We're going to talk about it and I'm really honored to be chatting with you. Great. Great. All right. Well, let's go ahead and jump right into this and say, you know, we've worked together for so many years, as you've said, uh, helping some of your most challenging SIBO patients. Looking back, can you tell us a bit about how you first got introduced to, to treating SIBO? Yeah, um, I first found out about SIBO from, well, it was from Dr. Sandberg Lewis. And so, you know, all three of us are good friends. He was my gastroenterology professor. He's um, very famous in the naturopathic gastroenterology world. And he was writing a book and I, I pulled out his book so I can show everybody a functional gastroenterology. <laughs> And he had me um, read through it before it was done, um, do a little editing. And in it, I saw he just had like a little section, a couple, like a paragraph or two describing saying SIBO. It was a new term to him, to me. He plopped it into his book and an article that was written actually by Dr. Leonard Weinstock, he talked about. Yeah. And so it was interesting because I never, I never heard of this before. And I had been, I had been recently where I had read um, Breaking the Vicious Cycle by Elaine Gottschall. And in that book, she talks about a circumstance. Basically, she describes SIBO, but she doesn't give it a name. And when I saw this description in Dr. Sandberg Lewis's book, I thought, 
I think that's what Elaine Gottschall was talking about. And so, so anyway, that's how I first found out about it. And just, just to sort of shorten, like give you the bits of the story there. Right. I wound up, um, I was so intrigued because see, I have, I have IBS. I've had IBS my whole, mostly my whole life since I was about five. I didn't find out it was IBS till much later. Um, but I had the symptoms. And so then I thought, could this be what I have? So I was very interested, right? And so I began studying SIBO. So that's like basically how I first found out about it is just from the snippet in SSLs. But he he hardly knew what it was. We were just like intrigued, you know? Right. right. And that, this was like 2010 or something. Wow. I don't know. Something like that. So you you mentioned uh, Elaine's book. Do you... Do you introduces some protocols. Do, do you follow those today? Um, no. And yes, sort of no. <laughs> this is a kind of a more complex story. But um, but basically, that that book is amazing. It introduces the diet called the specific carbohydrate diet. And that diet is incredibly successful for inflammatory bowel disease and incredibly successful, especially for pediatric inflammatory bowel disease, uh, children with it. But, um, but Elaine Gottschall, when she wrote it, she, she thought what it was treating was what she described to be SIBO. She like basically describes that in her book with, without giving it a name. So um, it is very helpful for people with SIBO. Uh, so it's a diet, it's, it's basically all it is is a diet and it can really help with symptoms. But it's not actually really created for SIBO, even though she sort of described it and it seemed like it was. Um, and we figured this out soon enough because we used it in all our patients. I used it in myself. Um, and so it can be very, very helpful, but it needs some modification to make it the best it can be. But for myself, uh, I so what I found was that it it can be, uh, for me, it incredibly was incredibly helpful for pain. I had a lot of abdominal pain and it took that away in like one day. So that is phenomenal. Like, and I, I will love it that diet forever because of that. <laughs> but what it didn't help me so much with was my bloating. It, it helped a little or the bowel movement irregularities. These are some of the key symptoms in SIBO. And for my, myself, I had constipation. It didn't help me with my constipation or really too much of my bloating, but it took my pain away. So that was like number one important. But this is the kind of thing I would see with, we would see with our patients is we felt we could get better help than what the diet was saying. Um, and that's why we've, we've modified it. So I guess you could say I'm not Basically, what it is, is, is what we recommend is whatever diet you are going to be doing for SIBO, and this is one of them that you can do. We recommend, I'm saying like myself, Dr. Sandberg Lewis, our colleagues, that people modify the diet to fit their symptoms. Because we find that uh, many foods that are we're, we're told to avoid on various SIBO diets actually are tolerated with no issue. And many foods that are being eaten are causing symptoms. And just as an example for the specific carbohydrate diet, uh, uh, some foods that are highly recommended and in the recipes are onions and garlic. And onions and garlic are some of the most symptom triggering foods for SIBO patients. And the deal was that, like I was explaining earlier, this diet wasn't actually formulated for SIBO. And so one must keep that in mind if they're going to read all the materials for, for that diet, because it talks about 
needing to have fanatical adherence. And here I'm just saying, don't do that. <laughs> mm -hmm. Actually, you need to alter it to suit yourself best. So right. just, and I'll finish this by saying, I've, I actually modified this diet by combining it with the low FODMAP diet. And I, and I have that as a diet called the SIBO specific food guide. So it's specific carbohydrate diet plus low FODMAP diet, plus some of my clinical input. And that is something you can get for free on my website. So fabulous. Yeah. Fabulous. Great explanation. Well, what, it's, what an evolving process figuring all of this out, right? Yeah. <laughs> now, you mentioned Dr. Sandberg Lewis, and I know you two started early on together. Can you tell us a little bit about how you supported each other's investigations and understanding protocols? Can you go a little bit? Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. So, after that first thing happened, I told you about where I was helping edit his book and I saw um, SIBO. I was I, I was like, I have to find out more about this. I actually took off from practicing and spent a year just studying SIBO. <laughs> and so what I did was I started delving into all the studies. One of the first things I did was contact Dr. Leonard Weinstock, whose article Dr. Sandberg Lewis had in his book. And we all became fast friends and we brought him to the first conference we ever put on about SIBO. But anyway, long story short, I, um, I basically spent a year studying SIBO. After several months, I reached back out to, to Stephen, Dr. Sandberg Lewis, and said, do you know about this? Do you, do you know about this thing I learned and this thing I learned? And he was like, oh, my God, no, please come and have a meeting with me and tell me everything. And that's that's how we started really working together. And we just continued that process. In the beginning, what, what we were doing is I was telling him everything I was learning, and then he was applying it to his patients because I was full-time studying. So we were a perfect team like that. But after a, um, like a, several months of that, I had to get back in there and I had to get, I had to start practicing with patients. And so I began practicing again. And we start practicing together at the university where we teach. And uh, we were meeting every week. We brought, And then what happened was we brought in other colleagues and we decided to make it more formal. And we created the SIBO Center for Digestive Health at our university. And we would, we would go over cases. I would still tell everyone everything I was learning with the studies. So we were just a very um, collaborative group. And it was very helpful because we had at least four of us seeing doctors, seeing patients, primarily SIBO patients. I only saw SIBO patients myself and the others saw mostly SIBO patients. So this meant we could learn exponentially from all of each other's patients, what was working, what wasn't working. We also created, um, Stephen and I created some herbal uh, antibiotic protocols together for SIBO and tested them all out in our patients to figure out what, what would work. We uh, created an algorithm for SIBO of like step-by-step -step how to treat SIBO, what process we were using. This was a variation of Dr. Pimentel's original algorithm, but we modified it based on what we were learning. We, um, we started publishing articles. We started the first ever SIBO only focused medical conference. It was called the SIBO Symposium. Mm -hmm. You know, we created the SIBO Center. So we we did a lot together. <laughs> and our whole focus was to raise awareness of SIBO and, and help, help people with this because it was just brand new knowledge. It was blowing our minds and we wanted to get the information to everybody. One of the things I've loved about 
you, Dr. Sandberg Lewis, and your group of naturopaths is because we've dealt with thousands of doctors over the last 30 years in practice. And a lot of them on four o'clock in the afternoon, they're thinking, I wonder if I can go out and get a golf game in with you naturopaths. I mean, you are so intently organized and interested and fascinated with how do I get my patients better and what can I do for them? And is there something natural that I can do that will actually help them? And um, it's just, uh, I, I just compliment you all and tip my hat to you all for, for that because it's just the kind of mentality and focus and drive in, in life that is healthcare providers should have. And, and you definitely do that. Thank you. I agree. Yeah. I wish all healthcare providers were, were like that. And, and the other thing is we take a lot of time with our patients and that is, that's a failure of the system, the, you know, the right. traditional system, because I would, I believe many healthcare practitioners do have the drive and it kind of gets beaten out of them by the system that's put on them. You know, that's right. That's right. That's right. Modern healthcare, managed care. So you've been with Intocebo from the very beginning. For people that are just starting, is there a step one, two, and three that people should follow to try to figure out what they need to be doing for their SIBO? Yeah, there's a few things to think about here. Um, first thing is thinking about whether you have SIBO or not. It's good to know what the symptoms are. You can find, you know, we've just discussed some of that. You can find it all on my my website, SIBO Info as well. Um, but also another, another helpful thing is, have you tried a lot of digestive treatments, enzymes, probiotics, fiber, et cetera, that haven't worked? That's when we're starting to have more suspicion of SIBO. When you're really wondering if you have SIBO, the, the key real first step is to get a test. And it's a step a lot of people skip, unfortunately, because either they feel they can't afford it or their doctor won't order it for them. Um, so I do want to let you know on my um, on my website, there's a section under resources for testing that lists some labs that patients can order themselves if you can't find a doctor to work with, um, which I hope you can. But the testing is really key because our treatments are based on the types of SIBO, which are based on the gases. So there's there's three gases, primarily two, but three. And these give us our different types of SIBO and they, they specify our treatments. So we would just be guessing blind with what treatments we're giving if we don't have a test that shows us, because what the tests show us is which gases are present and in what amounts. And even knowing the amount of gas helps us choose which treatment to give. So the tests are really, really necessary for deciding the treatment. So that's like step one. Go ahead, Larry. Is what specific tests should should they ta be taking? Thank you. Um, generally, we call it the SIBO breath test, but it's um, it's a it's a breath test that tests for hydrogen and methane. Some of them test for one of them also tests for hydrogen sulfide, and um, 
then there's a substrate you drink. So sometimes the breath, the test is named by that substrate. So it would be called the lactulose breath test. Lactulose is the substrate. Lactulose breath test. Sometimes it's called the hydrogen methane breath test. But you can, you'll see it all on my, um, if you go to my website under SIBO info, resources testing, just free, the free information. It's a little hard because some people name it different by brand, you know, but mm -hmm. in general, it's the lactulose SIBO breath test. Okay. In general, they're breathing into, they're breathing, they're taking something maybe and breathing into a tube and then sending it off. Is that? Yes, it's very simple. You can do it at home. You can also do it at a cl clinic or hospital, but it's much, it's very easy to do it at home. You do a one day preparatory diet, which is not pleasant for many people. You have to uh, reduce most of your uh, fruits and vegetables and focus mostly on meat, maybe white rice. If you're vegetarian, um, you know, you could have um, eggs. Uh, but you know, so it's not the easiest thing to do, but it's one day. And then the next morning you drink the lactulose, which is the substrate, and then you collect your breath samples and, and the instructions, of course, are in the kit, you mail it off and the results come back there. There's, um, there's actually a new test, uh, that a lot of people are starting to use that is a little device. It's called the food marble, food marble air two. It's a little handheld breath test that you, you, you buy actually for the price of one test, you buy it and then you can use it repeatedly. Um, it's just that you still need to obtain the lactulose. So you have to ask your doctor for a prescription for that. If you're in the U S outside of the U S you don't need a prescription. You can also use fructose. Um, that's another option for, for a SIBO breath test, okay. uh, which doesn't need a prescription. So there's, there's few ins and outs here, but it can be obtained without, without the help of a doctor. Um, if need be. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So you would maybe be able to use fructose instead of lactulose in case you can't get a prescription. That's right. That's okay. a, that's cool. an option. Right. So that's probably like step one. Um, after that, then come your antibacterial treatments uh, if, if it's positive. And uh, those are based on the gases. And for just briefly for antibacterial treatments, we have choices between pharmaceutical antibiotics, like your, your typical antibiotics. Um, we have certain ones that are for certain gases and we have herbal antibiotics. And then we have something called elemental diet, which is a medical food beverage, which also works similar as an antibacterial. So, so that's kind of like your next step in treatment, but there's a few things that, that uh, are, are helpful to know right at the outset, which, um, which would be, that many uh, more than one round is typically needed when treating SIBO. And I just think it's so important for people, a round of antibacterials, so important for people to know that right away. There are some people who don't need more than one round. And when, when only one round of treatment is needed, we call that one and done, but it's a small group of people. And so it, you see, if you don't know this and you, if you come into it with a, with a mindset, oh, I just, I take a week or two weeks for SIBO, it's two weeks of um, antibiotics is what we would give. If you come into the mindset, oh, I take that and then it's it's done, you are likely to be extremely disappointed, either as a patient or a practitioner. So you need to know it takes anywhere from two, three, four, even five rounds. You know, on average, I'll say three. That's just an average um, to eradicate the the SIBO. And so it's important to understand that. Sometimes we extend the treatments a little longer, but the, the antibacterials can peter out. Their effect peters out if you just keep giving them. So we have to stop and do a separate round. I see. I see. 
So when you first met us, we were treating adhesions in the gut. I knew nothing about SIBO. I actually have a cute story along with that. I could tell that first, or I could ask you how it how you figured we might be able no, to. Tell the story. I want to hear the story. This is a cute story. I don't know if you've ever heard this, but I was treating patients and um, in our clinic, uh, in one of our clinics in Gainesville, Florida, actually, the headquarters, and this uh, patient says, well, you you need to call Dr. Um, Dr. Gervich, I think it was. Dr. Gervich is what? Yeah, I, I think, yeah, I think this is one of the, pa I think I remember this. Yeah, keep going with this story. <laughs> so then a couple of weeks went by, I was busy as can be, and I didn't know who Dr. Gervich was. And I think somebody told me to call you, another patient. And, and then um, about three weeks later, I get a call from uh, Mr. Warren, this is Steven Sandberg Lewis. Yes, sir. I'd like to know what you're doing with our patients. <laughs> I'm like, um, I don't know. Is everything okay? He said, yes. He said, yes, everything's fine, but you, you saved this patient's life. And I want to know why. And I said, well, what do you mean? He said, well, you know, she has SIBO and she would, uh, she was, the SIBO bacteria was apparently eating her intestine, eating her food, possibly eating her intestines. She was in her early thirties and she's down to 86 pounds. She's finally down in a wheelchair we're giving her, her physician is giving her antibiotics and they're working for three days or maybe a week, but then it comes right back. And, um, you, she inadvertently, she, at that time, she went to one of your clinics for some treatment. And since she did that, the, um, the medications are working and she got rid of her SIBO and she's gaining her weight back. She's up to 120 pounds now. What are you doing? <laughs> and I said, well, we're decreasing adhesions in the gut. I said, what is SIBO? <laughs> <laughs> goes, oh, oh my. I think maybe I need to come down there and, and meet with you. And so he did fly down here to Florida from Oregon. Yep. And we met with the chief of staff at the hospital and our uh, PhD research director to figure out for us to learn what was going on with SIBO and to start to develop some protocols so that patients would take anti that have persistent SIBO, some that you're talking about, when the antibiotics just don't seem to continue to work. And there's, we're thinking, well, you start with the antibiotics, then it, before our five days of treatment, continue taking them for five days while we're treating you and clear the gut so that the antibiotics are killing off the SIBO and you're able to flush them out and continue the antibiotics or antimicrobials for about three days afterwards. And that seemed to be working really well, certainly for that woman, saved her life and she gained, regained her weight, but for the most difficult uh, and challenging SIBO patients, which is what we tend to see. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, actually, before telling you how I found out about you guys, I'll just say that's another key. You kind of brought something up that's another key thing to sort of know as you go into treating SIBO, which is, is that the majority of patients, like two-thirds is what the studies show, uh, have chronic SIBO, meaning that it will, it will relapse. So you, you can clear it with the antibacterials, but then and then you'll have a period of remission, but then at some point it will return. And that's sort of the definition of chronic, right? It, you know, it can come back. And 
And that is because we believe um, there is an underlying cause still present that can that is bringing it back. And so that, it's important to know that going in, because once again, if you think I'm just first of all, I'm just going to take two weeks of antibiotics and then the whole thing's done. You know, it just it can be so upsetting. You know, it's also extremely upsetting to think I may I may get this back again. But the reason that you need to people need to know that ahead of time is because we have preventative therapies that we use to um, extend the remissions and they're part of treatment. And mm -hmm. so you kind of need to know that. So you will then institute them and help the situation. Right. Now, of course, I've sidestepped. I haven't answered how I found out about you. So I will, I will quickly say what happened. It was very simple. I had a patient that told me um, about what you were doing because one of the underlying causes of SIBO are abdominal adhesions. And we didn't know anything to do for them as treatment other than uh, what you know, MDs recommend, which is surgery to remove the adhesions, adhesolysis, but surgery is what causes adhesions in many people and removing an adhesion with surgery can create more adhesions. And so nobody was very happy with this as a treatment solution. And that's all we knew. And so anyway, we were talking to our patients about potentially when their underlying cause might be abdominal adhesions, when we suspect that. And one of my patients said, do you know about clear passage and told me about you? And I went right online, looked it up. Then that's when I brought that into my group, told Dr. Sandberg Lewis, told all of my colleagues, and we began recommending uh, folks go to you. And that's, that's how it all started and how we all became friends. And then of course, uh, for listeners, they may not know, um, we of course had you come out and speak at one of our more than one of our SIBO symposiums as well, you know? So that's how it all started. It's front, thank God a patient knew and they yeah. told me. And here's an example, by the way, so many people say that they tell their doctors about something and their doctors don't listen. No, we listen. <laughs> yeah, that's right, you do, you certainly do. Well, that's interesting. That really fills in a lot of the history for me as well. So I do know that some people, um, we've taken courses in my fascia release and visceral manipulation and a lot of other courses in the US and abroad. Um, and our protocols are very specific to decreasing these internal scars at clear passage. What, what do you see as the differences between my facial release, visceral manipulation. How does somebody know where to go to? Do they pick one or the other or come to clear passage? Yeah, I absolutely love, okay, well, I, they're different treatments. So I love visceral manipulation and I recommend it a lot for my patients. But it, and I'll talk about that in a minute, but your treatment is something different altogether because what your treatment is doing is dissolving adhesions which are internal scars, right, in the abdomen. And the point here with SIBO is they can be compressing the small intestinal loops in such a way they're creating a partial obstruction where uh, there's a narrowing now where and narrowing where then there's an, a, a, a bulging above where all this bacteria can accumulate and, and overgrow. So it's, it's like a physical, you know, overgrowth. And then there's this narrowing from a Preston scar and you are, what your treatment does is dissolve the adhesion. So then the, the bowel can open up again. And right, as, as you know, you're famous for clearing large intestine bowel obstructions. Well, it works in the small intestine too. And 
um, I think you have studies on both, which is amazing. You have studies. Amazing. So your treatment is the way we think of it is it's a treatment for an underlying cause of SIBO. Whereas visceral manipulation is not specifically uh, decreasing, dissolving adhesions. Um, but what it can do, one of the main things we found it can do is actually help stimulate the migrating motor complex, which is a very important form of movement in the small intestine that occurs during fasting. And it's the primary mechanism for clearing bacteria out of the small intestine. It's, it's like a form of peristalsis. And it's almost always slow in people with SIBO. Uh, there are some exceptions. Sometimes if somebody has that physical um, partial obstruction from an adhesion, they may not have a slow migrating motor complex. They just happen to have a physical blockage. But a lot of people do have let's take a different circumstance. A lot of people do have slow migrating motor complex and visceral manipulation seems to be able to stimulate that. And also uh, I do think, and I know your work has shown, there can be adhesions that can form even just from the SIBO, um, from the inflammation, which might not be a primary, creating a primary blockage necessarily, but sticking the bowels up and, and making them not work well. And it can pull things out of place, um, even if it's not creating a primary partial obstruction. And I think visceral manipulation can be helpful for just getting the bowels in a better position or the, all the internal organs more loosened up, sliding over each other a little better in the way that they're supposed to. So just sort of, I think of it as supportive, whereas, you know, and your treatment would, would do, of course, would get rid of all of those adhesions too. But it's a your treatment is a primary treatment for underlying cause, which is like the deepest layer, the most important layer, if somebody has adhesions as their underlying cause. So there's no reason a person couldn't couldn't do both. I, I also think, because, see, I'm saying all these things, but <laughs> my experience is um, I was sending people for visceral manipulation, like people who didn't have adhesions, um, you know, as like a last resort, like, oh my gosh, I've tried all these things. What can I help them? Or even just to help them during their remission period to, to extend their remission period. And, um, and then I found they did better uh, just generally, you know, they, their, their overall quality of life was better. Things were better. It's not like it was a miracle cure, but it was supportive. And so then I thought, well, why don't I just start recommending people to that in the beginning? Why am I waiting for the hardest cases after I've tried everything? Like, and, and then we found that things like, even just things like acupuncture and other things, basically any kind of body work, a, a massage, any kind of body work was, was helpful because it's a very physical problem and it was supportive. So that's where I think of those treatments. They generally help. And people who do them tend to either get better faster or generally have a higher quality of life. Um, Clear Passage is you know, a miracle treatment for really for when adhesions are a person's underlying cause. You know, I don't believe visceral manipulation will do that. It, they're separate. So. And we do treat a lot of small bowel. We just had a study by a surgeon from Harvard and Stanford and Dr. Weinstock over in Washington University control study. And because these people that have bowel obstructions, usually it's from a prior surgery or a trauma um, although I think the most, one of the most adhered abdomens I've ever felt was somebody who had never had 
any trauma or surgery, but she had had SIBO for 17 years. So mm. the inflammation can, can cause that narrowing. There is a test you may or may not know about, I'm sure you do, called small bowel follow-through, where you swallow a liquid that has a, 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 a tracer that you can, that radiologists can follow in an x-ray and see, is there narrowing? And if there's narrowing in a, which we call a stricture in the small intestine or anywhere in the intestine, then that's probably somebody that, that is going to need to come see us. Whereas the others, maybe, maybe they won't need to. And so that may be a good. I'm good so glad you mentioned that because that's the, the key test we were running to figure out. Really? Um, yeah. And we learned that from Dr. Pimentel. That's the test he, he, mm -hmm taught us to do for, um, to find out if somebody has adhesions. And so, and just for, for anyone listening, that is not a test. A lot of, um, doctors are quick to order. In fact, it can, it can take severe arm twisting to get them to order it because it's fallen out of favor and they want to do CTs and a million other things, ultrasounds, it's everything so inexpensive and easy. And it's, you know, yeah, it's old school, but it, it's what we need for this circumstance. And yeah. it's the proper test for this. So the problem is, um, <clears throat> if you're a patient listening, or if you're a doctor, when you order the test, radiologists will not perform it adequately unless you put special instructions on the test. So I I created a special instruction thing that I learned from talking to Dr. Pimentel and talking to the head radiologist at Cedars, mm -hmm. who I observed for, for a long time, because he knew how to do this test properly, um, which is to ask them to um, take, um, to put the patient in multiple positions and take multiple films, mul multiple images within multiple positions, because we, we, we need to really find if there's any obstruction anywhere. So otherwise they will, they will, you'll come back with three pictures, but we need a lot more pictures and you don't, right. we don't need to interpret it. The radiologist will interpret it. Tell them what you're looking for. Tell them that you're, that you want them to rule out adhesions with positional changes and multiple spot films. That's basically what you say. So, and then you'll get a proper test. Also, it's my understanding from having some trainings with you that if you can't get this test, you can actually send someone to you all at Clear Passage and you can actually tell if somebody has adhesions with your hands, You, this is your whole life's work, you know how to do this. So if, if the test is not gonna be something that can happen, you can just uh, arrange to go to Clear Passage and that with you'll be able to tell with your hands. And we can pretty much tell by their histories when they, we have a pretty extensive medical history and then we'll do a conversation with the patient. So we figure out together if this makes sense for them. So we're not pushing anybody. We're trying to find the truth. And But we're, we've been very accurate and good with that. So, mm -hmm. so for the difference between antibiotics and antimicrobials, can you touch on that a little bit for us? Well, antimicrobial is just a broader term that means that the, the item will kill microbes, right? So it could be yeast, it's killing bacteria, viruses, parasites, right? Just a broader term for something that can can kill all sorts of things. Um, antibiotic is a term that really refers mostly to the pharmaceutical antibiotics that we know of um, generally. But, you know, it's interesting because a lot of times we found that antibiotics actually have activity on other microbes as well. So sometimes they have broader effect. Um, just for example, metronidazole, which is sold as flagell in the US, mm -hmm. it's, a, it's a 
uh, primary antibiotic we use in SIBO for those who have the methane type of SIBO, also called EMO now, also treats parasites. Uh, it's known to treat Blastocystis hominis. So you see it, it treats bacteria and parasites, but it's called an antibiotic. But um, mm -hmm. I generally use the term either antimicrobial or antibacterial. Uh -huh. uh, just, I often use either one of those just so we can talk about the killing things we're going to use for the, on the bacteria, you know? Right. Right. And you, and you do this a lot based on the diagnosis from the breath test. Yep. And we choose what we're going to use. Now um, we have, as I mentioned, the pharmaceutical antibiotics and the herbal antibiotics. And by the way, we just use that term antibiotics because that's what people are familiar with, you know, herbal antibiotics. Mm -hmm. um, but we know they work from all our years of before and after testing with the breath test. Anyway, those are based on the, on the gas types. The elemental diet works on all gas types. Um, so, and it's just one thing. You don't, you don't tweak it for the different gas types. It's just, it is what it is. And it's used for all type of SIBO. I see. Oh, okay. And then um, you have a, book do you do you have a book out or not now the, i no. know you've been doing you were working no, on I, I, I've been working i've been working on a book the whole time you've known me and i'll tell you what what stops me from getting it finished I, and believe me i continue to work on it is because i have so many other things i'm doing i you know i recorded a and i you just have to parse out time a little bit to everything but um i recorded a um, a 22 hour training course for professionals that has CME accreditation. I've recorded a course for patients, um, which is a shorter one to help them through the process. You know, I, I'm, I'm very devoted to education. I'm a, I'm a teacher, you know, I teach advanced gastroenterology and SIBO at the university. So I, I constantly put on as many, uh, conferences, lectures, masterclass series as I can, you know, <laughs> and many other things as well. But, um, and also here's another thing I am unwilling to, um, although you talked about our passion and how we, you know, I don't go out and necessarily play golf, but I keep a balanced life. And so I'm not willing to put myself into a harm state to, to get that done. <laughs> so I do a lot of things, but I have to parse my time out and I'm not going to like hurt myself to get it done. So there, there you go. You stay very, very busy. I'm very impressed. <laughs> uh, diet, elemental diet. Why is diet so important? Well, there are two different things. So we have diet and we have elemental diet. So what I'll start with elemental diet. Elemental diet is one of our three key antibacterial treatments. And just briefly what it is, is it's um, powdered nutrients in their most digested form. And so it's like a shake that you mix with water. And what it does is because the um, nutrients are in simple absorbable form, they absorb into our body so quickly, they don't have a chance to feed the overgrown bacteria. And so what winds up happening is the overgrown bacteria starve uh, over time. So it's, it's done for two weeks, just like you would do pharmaceutical antibiotics, but it works on a different principle. The antibiotics are actively killing um, you know, breaking apart cell walls and things or messing with the DNA and replication of bacteria. The elemental diet is just feeding you, but not feeding the bugs and it's allowing them to starve over time. So different, different mechanisms. So that is a, a main antibacterial treatment we use. The diet for SIBO is used supportively. And what it really can do is help with symptoms. 
And where this becomes the most important is for people who do have chronic ongoing SIBO, where it's going to, you know, go away and come back. And usually for these people, diet is going to be very key for in the periods where the SIBO is very much reduced, still there might be some symptoms because there's an underlying cause there that we haven't been able to get rid of. Some underlying causes are currently incurable at this time. We always hold out hope and there's always people working on them, but not all causes of SIBO can be gotten rid of. Mm -hmm. um, adhesions are one that can be gotten rid of, <laughs> but so uh, we don't have a, a, a knowledge or way. Uh, just as an example, a classic example is systemic sclerosis or scleroderma is a progressive autoimmune disease that currently has no cure and causes SIBO as it basically scars the digest digestive tract or fibrosis, the digestive tract, um, such that it doesn't function properly anymore. And there's um, no one at this time that I know knows how to stop that. So for people, now that's just one maybe more, it's a rare disease, right? But it's an example just to get it in people's minds, what we're talking about here. So the, um, the diet is so important for people like this because it can alleviate symptoms that are going to be there, even just from their, their underlying cause as well, even when the bacterial level is down. So that's why it's so important actually to um, customize a diet to yourself, because that's one of the you know, sort of the overriding principles we see, or just facts that we see is, individuals are different one to the next and what foods are going to trigger their symptoms are going to be different from person to person. So no one SIBO diet is going to be a perfect match for everybody with SIBO. Sometimes you might just find the perfect match for you, but usually you got to tweak it. And that's where it's really important for people who have ongoing SIBO. And then, you know, for people in the beginning of their journey, they don't know whether they have chronic SIBO or not. They're just wanting to treat it once again, diet can bring symptoms down. And then we also use diet if, if um, once we get rid of the SIBO, just as a preventative measure. So the preventative treatments are a SIBO diet or some form of a SIBO diet and a prokinetic until we find out whether you're going to be a person who's going to be relapsing or not. In the beginning, we don't know. We just get rid of it and we observe and we see, you know, are, how, how long does it stay away for? But we give you some insurance, some help. Yeah. So it's really a thorough following of the SIBO and sort of an uncovering and investigation while while patients are going through this, hopefully to be done with it. Yeah, I mean, it would be I, I mean, I, I would my hope for everyone would be that they don't have an underlying cause that can't be gotten rid of and that it can just go away. But mm -hmm. the good news is for people who are going to eventually we find out, wind up with chronic SIBO, there's such good management techniques. And that's really the whole incredible hope of this whole story and, and you know, mm -hmm. positivity of the whole story is, is that so much investigation has been done in the medical world since around 2000 to help people who, you know, basically have IBS and SIBO is the main underlying cause of IBS. IBS has been considered a mystery disease and nothing much you can do for it. And that is not true anymore. We can, we can clear the bacteria, and in some cases, we can get rid of the underlying cause so that you just are handled, you know? And, and if we can't get rid of the underlying cause, we have so many excellent ongoing management techniques that people have can only need to live with just the bare minimum of symptoms, like 10% of symptoms, 90% you know, better, just incredible. And the diet, the diet actually can bring a lot of people to a hundred percent better, which is what really where we use the diet is to make up the difference in 
what we may not be able to achieve fully. The diet is just incredible. Understood. Well, we, we have a couple of questions now for you. Okay. One is do, do herbal or antibiotic treatments work better for SIBO? Oh, such an interesting question. We have found, so I use all of those three antibacterial treatments equally. And I ran before and after uh, tests on every patient I ever gave them to <laughs> because we're specialists and that's what we did. Mm -hmm. And what I can report and tell you is that they work equally the same. There's absolutely no effectiveness difference between pharmaceutical or herbal antibiotics. Wow. So that's excellent news. Now, let Thank me just you. give a caveat. All of these treatments we give, kind of like the diet, sometimes they just don't quite work on a person. They're like, like not a perfect match. And we, we sort of just assume it might be because of the particular bacteria that are overgrown in that person. I don't know, maybe, maybe not. Like the sensitivity, that bacteria to being killed by that agent. Um, and even sometimes elemental diet, which works by starvation, just doesn't quite work as well as we would want. So just keep that in mind. Standing back as a person who has treated, you know, thousands of patients and seen these treatments, everything works actually very, very well. Like the statistics are like 80, 85%, 90% success rates. They all work equally, but they might not be the perfect match for you in that exact thing. So that's why we pick from, we might have to rotate through these different treatments till we find the right, right Interesting. thing. Okay, good. Wow, this has been a fabulous, uh, a fabulous interview. All right, here's one more. Um, for I mean, really, from for beginners to advanced to SIBO, it's just so much fabulous information you've given us. Um, the, another uh, person asked: Could SIBO and adhesions cause constant abdominal pain twenty four seven? I think it is likely. Um, you know, you always have to rule out when constant abdominal pain 24 seven is there. There are some things as a physician, I'm immediately thinking, you know, you want to get checked out. And if you haven't been for other things, uh, just to rule other things out, but yes, I think it can, because, uh, if you are not doing a SIBO diet, if you're eating foods, if you're eating three times a day or more, a lot of people have snacks as well, or desserts. So let's say it's five times a day, three to five times a day, regular basis. And in each of those meals are things that that uh, trigger fermentation. The bacteria make gas. The gas can cause terrible pain. Um, so, yeah, it's possible. And then, you know, one way you could test this would be to uh, get on a SIBO diet if you haven't done this already and see, see if the pain goes down, you know, re reducing all those fermentable foods. Um, you know, if you're, you could, you know, just give it a trial period, you know, like five days, but yes, I think it could. And now of course, adhesions themselves can cause pain. If you can speak to that. Yeah. Well, I will speak to that then with adhesions. What we would do would be to, would want to determine if adhesions are the cause of your pain. Absolutely. They can. They're, they're like a straight jacket or glue in the system that can squeeze systems with the pressure that's stronger than steel by way it's been estimated at 2000 pounds a square inch so what we would suggest for figuring out whether this could be adhesions is just go to our website at clearpassage.com 
And because um, we clear passages, uh, we started opening blocked fallopian tubes and then moved on to opening clearing bowels. Um, clearpassage.com and complete a medical history form and take you about 20 minutes. And we'll go through your history with you. And we'll look at when did this pain start? Was there an event that occurred a year or two or sometime before all of this stuff began? You know, were you a horseback rider? Did you fall on your bottom and push that tailbone forward maybe? And it's kind of ends up pulling at the base of your skull as well and causing pain up there. But we'll let's examine that. It doesn't cost you anything. Go ahead and complete a medical history form and let's examine this together and, and we'll tell you straight and whether it and be able to figure out together whether or not adhesions are the underlying cause of your pain so that's again between your website and your good advice as far as the elegant part of the organics of SIBO and our aspect, as far as the mechanical aspects of adhesions and internal scarring, I think people can can start getting a, a pretty good handle on, on why they are in pain and then start to understand what they need to do to, to regain their lives, which is what yeah. all of us are here for. And, you know, one of the things that I've come to learn through this work with SIBO and yourself is how common adhesions are, how common they are. You know, it's, it's this thing that's never spoken about. I had never heard of it until I learned about SIBO. Never heard about it. And then I learned from Dr. Pimentel that, you know, abdominal adhesions are probably the second most common cause of, of SIBO. And I'm like, I have to learn more about I didn't know. I wasn't taught a thing about it in medical school. And so neither, how would anyone know, you know, in car accidents, you know, of fisticuffs, uh, some, some internal inflammation, appendicitis, infection. I mean, my God, it's, they can happen for so many reasons. The thing is, once they form, they either stay there or grow. There's nothing in the body that the body has to get rid of them. They come rushing in to start the healing process. Once you've healed, if you've healed, they stay there like an internal straitjacket. I was uh, surprised to see, I read in the Journal of the American Medical Association, the most common emergency surgeries in the US, bowel obstruction, which is life-threatening, is the second most common emergency surgery in the US. It's a terrible, it's an awful surgery because when you cut through the bowel, if a drop or two slips out and the surgeon doesn't see it and they close you back up, this bacteria is left in a warm, moist, dark environment and goes, wow, this is great. I can just grow. And then you have to be opened up again. So about 20% of people go back and are rehospitalized within within 30 days. And then adhesion removal is the fifth most common emergency surgery in the U.S. So, wow. so it's really, and, and when we first learned about adhesions, doctors told us, well, yeah, those are adhesions. We can't do anything about that, but cut them and we're just going to make more adhesions. And I said, is that a problem in, in gynecology? Oh, this is a problem in every field of medicine. Uh -huh. In cardiology, after cutting open a heart, in cancer, the, the, can the chemicals can't get to the tumor because of adhesions are covering it. So they form anywhere in the body that we heal. And they just, once they form, they stay there unless they are cut out or unless we go in there and um, 
and are able to spend our, our five days with you. So um, we know, so people know how to get to your website, seboinfo.com. Um, I did not bring a copy of my book. It's available. One of my books is available on Amazon called Adhesions. It's really very inexpensive. I probably have it right back here. Want me to go grab it? Sure. <laughs> Let me see it. if I can grab it. <laughs> I it. know I have it, Larry. I just got to look. Okay. <laughs> you sent it to me. I think I know I have it. That's fine. It's right here. It is? Yep. Oh, that's one of them. That's the bigger one. That's the, this is the big one. That's the 600 page book. I've made it more of a consumer book called, uh, <laughs> called but that's fine. I probably even have the smaller one. <laughs> I have that your clinic is scheduling Zoom consults with colleagues, Dr. Goldenberg and Dr. Story. Phenomenal that's true. I, they're my. On their own. They're my covering doctors uh, because I'm not, I haven't been seeing patients for some time. Um, so they're covering for me and they're excellent. And they've trained with me as well as many other, like Dr. SSL, uh, Stephen Samberg Lewis and others. They're phenomenal in their own right. Great. And then as far as Clear Passage, we have eight clinics now from Los Angeles to London and Canterbury, where the channel starts to Europe um, in major cities. Our, our program is generally a five-day program where people fly in on the weekend. They start Monday morning. It's all hands-on, no drugs, no surgery, uh, two hours in the morning, break for lunch, two hours in the afternoon. You're done Friday afternoon. You go home Saturday or Sunday. Um, so that's what our program and that's what all of our studies are based on is that uh, 20 hour program. Um, I don't know. Yeah. And I, and I do, re I do remember the, the case that, that, that it was so successful. I can't remember all the details. I remember she went, she, she went to, I think, don't you have one in like Chicago or Illinois or Wisconsin? St. Louis. St. Louis. I think she went there and had great success. So just, you know, the people that you've trained who are in all these satellite clinics are fantastic. Thank you. That therapist sent me some x-rays, a study that Dr. Weinstock and this surgeon from Harvard and Stanford uh, co-wrote. It shows a string stricture from a small bowel follow-through test that's six inches long. It says on the website it's three inches, but it's six inches. It looks like a coffee straw. And she was scheduled for emergency surgery and Sharon treated her up in St. Louis. And um, after she treated her, they did another follow-through and they said, nope, it's normal bowel now. Incredible. So it's, we, we love doing research. We love being able to look people in the eye and saying, you know, this is what we can do. This is what we can't do. Let's figure this out together if this is right for you. So that's a bit of who we are and how we are. Dr. San, Dr. Dr. C. Becker, Allison, thank you so much. This has just been a fabulous interview. And thank you, Larry. It so much. All right. Hope to see you soon. I hope so too. Bye, everyone. All right. Bye-bye.